0: Samuel P. Fuller, age 24. Linda May Jenkins, age 19. Brutally attacked March 3rd, 1946. Howard W. Turner, 29. Emma Lou Cook, 17. Bodies discovered in a wooded area on March 24th. Roy Allen, 17. Peggy Loomis, 15. Both found dead April 14th in Spring Lake Park. Floyd Reed, age 34. Murdered in his home on May 3rd. Mrs. Reed shot twice, but survived. This man's identity is unknown. He was believed to be between 30 and 40 years old. He wore a white hood and was known only as the Phantom Killer. World War II had just ended. In Texarkana, Arkansas, boys had come home to their families. Husbands reunited with their wives. It was a happy, peaceful time. until the phantom killer struck. For four months, he held an entire city in the icy grip of terror. Now, Charles B. Pierce brings this incredible, shocking, and true story to the screen in The Town That Dreaded Sundown, starring Academy Award winner Ben Johnson as Captain J.D. Morales of the Texas Rangers. I got a cold-blooded killer here. A man who nobody sees, a phantom who so far hasn't made any mistakes. Andrew Prine as Deputy Norman Ramsey of the Texarkana Sheriff's Department. The only thing we really do know is that we've got a very strange person on our hands. The town that dreaded sundown. A true story.
1: All
2: right. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Cinecult Podcast. I am your host, Cordell. And joining me tonight is my new, brand new dubbed co-host, Lucas. Go ahead and say hi, Luke.
3: Good evening. And welcome to a world beyond your imagination. A world where Cordell will beat you with his nightstick.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
3: I'm just kidding, but
1: it it actually threw (laughs)
3: me for a loop, because before before our podcast, Cordell's like, yeah, I'm fiddling around with my uh, Maniac Cop stick, and I'm like, oh my God.
2: (laughs) I did not know where you were going with that for a second. You said world full of imagination. I thought you were going with some Willy Wonka bullshit. (laughs)
3: Nah, I was like, uh, I was like trying to figure, out like improv, improv. But uh, hey guys, how's it going?
2: And tonight, everyone, we are discussing with you a movie that I'm actually very excited excited to talk about. We are going to be talking about the 1976 horror movie, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, uh, directed by Charles B. Pierce. It is a well, I don't really know how to describe the movie. It's one to me, it's one of like the first films that kind of delved into true crime.
3: It's an interesting pick. Um what uh what motivated you to pick it, Cordo?
2: Well, you know, there's some factor there's some things about this movie I like. Um obviously one of the things I like about this movie is I like the killer and i am kind of into true crime and this has always kind of been one of those cases that has intrigued me uh i'll go ahead and spoil it right now um the the this movie is based on the 1946 Texarkana moonlight murders um crimes that were attributed to an unidentified serial killer known as the phantom killer uh And very much like the Zodiac and Jack the Ripper, he was never caught. Nobody. I have a book on the case and they think they know who did it, but we have no concrete evidence to say, yeah, that person did it. So it's one of those few unsolved uh, mysteries that may never get solved.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to talk about it because I did do a little bit of looking up the um, actual case along with the movie. And uh, I just to spoil it, I thought um, it really impressed me how the movie pretty much um, got it pretty close to the real real life events. Um,
2: There was just a few minor, like they changed the names, they added some scenes for dramatic effect, um, changed some dates. But other than that, yeah, the movie does a pretty good job. Oh we're kind of getting before, ahead that. To you. before we get oh. comedy, we should get into what have you been watching. So Luke, what have you been watching?
1: Oh man.
3: Uh not too not been too crazy, man. Uh let's see. Well last night I got shit faced and I watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Three, which uh, you know, remains one of like probably the best Freddy movie. Seen that one, Cordell?
2: Oh, fuck, yeah, that's one of my favorites. That one, um, I would actually argue that that is the best Elm Street movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, I always, it, it's funny, because I'm always more of a Jason fan, Um, and I still am, a, I, I like Jason more than Freddy, but you can't deny uh when, when Freddy's on point, like in Nightmare 3, I mean, Robert Englund's fantastic in the role, and that movie just does such a good job of, uh, there's no like downtime, right? Like it just kicks you right into it and keeps on rocking. I mean, the, all the characters are likable. I mean, the Dream Warriors are cool. I mean, Freddy's menacing. We get some classic Freddy lines. <clears throat> um, everyone always points to prim- welcome to primetime, bitch, but I gotta say the <laughs> what always gets me is every single time is the the Wizard Master and the kid in the wheelchair, and he's like, it's back in the
1: saddle again.
2: I. I love it when he gets the junkie chick and he just and his glove blades turn into syringes and he like gets away with him. He goes, oh, what a rush!"
3: I said, "Where's the fucking bourbon?" That's another good one. Yeah, oh, yeah so we re- revisited that classic.
2: <clears throat> it's, it's one of my favorite of the Elm Street movies. My first uh, Freddy figure was the Part Three Necro Freddy, and. In my horror movie posters, I don't have any of the other Elm Street movies except part three.
3: You know, I got got to say the Elm Street posters, the first, I think, first five or so, where they're all the like, you know, like hand-drawn painting style. Those are all awesome. I love the art.
2: Oh, speaking of posters, I can't wait to talk about the poster for the movie we're talking about tonight.
3: Yeah, that was a shocker when I found out who drew that. I didn't even realize so, um, it does have a good poster.
2: It's just, well, we'll get into it, uh, but, but um, as you will go. Yeah, on. so
3: Nightmare, Nightmare 3, I mean, what, what more can you say about it? It's a classic. I mean, if, if you took someone who had no idea who Freddy Krueger was, you show them that movie. They're going to love it, I hope. Um, rewatched Phantasm a couple nights ago. Do you know this series, Cordell? This would be an interesting one to talk about.
2: I have never watched it, but I have. I am familiar with the series. I know that you got the tall man with the like silver spear with the like weird sharp things out of it. Yeah, so
3: I rewatched. Um I'm a huge Phantasm fan. I mean, I think it's kind of an underrated uh, horror series. Um, you got five movies, all basically directed by the same guy with the same cast of characters. Um, I, it's got a lot of that kind of trippy '70s vibe that I really groove to. Um, I mean, the the sphere is amazing. Angus Grim is the tall man is amazing. I ended up watching it with the Joe Bob Briggs commentary on Shutter, which I highly recommend. Now, he does provide a – he does give you a pretty interesting – you should either smoke this type of weed or you should drink this kind of booze at various points of the movie to truly understand it. And uh, one of these days, I really have to get my hands on the, like, various types of tequila and whiskey he recommends and go on that odyssey. But Phantasm, a classic. Uh, Two more I'll hit you with. I went to the theater. I saw Jaws in 3D that just got re-released. Do you see mm-hmm. that, Cordell?
2: Uh, I have seen Jaws. I didn't go to the theater to see it because no theater around me was playing it, but I have seen Jaws. That is a classic.
3: You know, I I always bag on 3D, but honestly, I forget, like, it's pretty cool. Uh, You know, it's the real D or whatever. Now, Mm -hmm. I haven't seen a a 3D movie since it's been years. So maybe it's improved since the last time I saw it. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty nifty. I mean, the 3D didn't really like nothing poked out at you. But like when it did all the underwater shots, you know, all the bubbles and shit in the water was like floating in your face. That was pretty cool.
2: Oh, I can't. I can't do 3D. It just pisses me off.
3: And uh, as much as I'm not really a fan of the first one, I will say that uh, that new Avatar trailer does look pretty nifty in 3D. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's always good to see Jaws. Love the movie The death, as sure, most people do. And then the big one I went and seen was uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. I finally checked out. Did I talk about that on the last show? I can't.
1: Remember.
2: Uh, no, I don't think he did.
3: So nope. So uh, have you seen Jordan
1: Peele's other movies, Cordell?
2: I have not. Um, nothing against the man. I'm sure he's a great filmmaker. It's just that when I hear people like overhyping him and everything, it just makes me not want to see his movies.
3: Oh, I mean, well, yeah, I I definitely I know he's he's been hyped up a lot. Um I think get out is pretty good. Um the one I really like is Us though, and I think that's because I'm that I'm a slasher fan at heart and us has a lot of the stalk and slash, like home invasion stuff. Um I really recommend that, Cordell. You you'd like it. It's uh got a lot of violence, it's it's pretty tense. <clears throat> um so Note he just came out with, which is an alien invasion movie. And Unfortunately, I think this is a bit of a misstep on the part of Jordan Peele. Uh, no, the the movie is
2: fine. You don't think he's uh, quite right for the alien invasion genre?
3: No. Well, I, I think he he does some scenes of suspense, which are really well done. The issue I had with the movie is it's a it's got a pretty good setup. So you have this brother and sister who are like um, horse wranglers. And horse ranchers who provide horses for Hollywood productions. And uh, the setup is basically they're kind of down on their luck. They've been selling their horses and uh, they spot what looks to be a UFO flying over their ranch. And so they set out kind of to be like, all right, let's get some pictures of this. Let's document this and investigate it. And it's not it, – and as the movie goes on, you kind of find out – I'm not going to spoil it – like, what the nature of the aliens are, like, what, what they're out to do. Um, it's got some really good tense moments, but honestly, the movie was a little too long. And it's one of those movies that, for my money, is a lot more symbolism than actual film. Does that make sense? Like, there's a lot of metaphor – um without spoiling anything, like I think the aliens pretty clearly represent something. And the movie's more of like a meta commentary, I think, on Hollywood, although it's it's kind of up for debate. And I just really get the sense that this is a movie that means a lot to Jordan Peel while making it. Um, but I'm not sure it entirely works.
2: Please um, tell me that the aliens are not a metaphor for slavery.
3: No, no. Well, I don't think they are. I mean, you know, it's all it's all up for debate. But
2: it, it, at the end of the
3: day, uh, that's another thing we need to talk about, Cordell. I say that phrase way too often, but that's beside the point. <laughs> if you took a drink every time I said at the end of the day in our last podcast, you'd be
1: dead.
2: Um, I, I, I guess one of my aversions to Jordan Peele is, you know, I just feel like in you know in this day and age, it's very trendy for directors in Hollywood to make. Movies that are all about a social commentary about, you know, injustices of the past and everything, and they just kind of heavy handed into movies. So I think that's, you know, I've heard that criticism get put at Jordan Peele before. So,
3: oh, I I, see. And that's why I'll say us. Us is a movie that I think does a brilliant job of it does have some social commentary. But it also works extremely well as, like, a home-invasion, like, uh, you know, slasher-type movie. Do
1: you get I what I'm saying?
2: Like, yeah, I get what yeah. you're saying. But I guess case in point, you know, look at that remake of Black Christmas that came out back in, like, 2018, 2019. Which, you know, you think of Black Christmas, you think of the, you know, 70s slasher movie. You're Fantastic. Thinking, oh, it, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be a, you know, serial killer at Christmas. And it turned out to be nothing more than just kind of a very extremist feminist message where all women are good and all men are evil. And we got to kill all the men because they're infected.
3: Yeah, I mean, see, I I haven't seen the movie, but for my money, Jordan Peele, um, he doesn't do he's not he doesn't go to that extreme. Cordell. His movies are they're more than that. At, at least in in my own observation. Now his movies do have social commentary, but it's not like, you know, like bent banging you over the head with it like uh like some movies do. Like the, the Candyman remake was a movie that uh I liked and I thought worked really well as a as a slasher film, but also leaned just a little too much into uh putting our political message above uh above movie to the point where it kind of was to the detriment especially at the end and if you've seen that movie you kind of know what i'm talking about i like the final the final minutes of that movie
2: i guess that's my thing is i'm just kind of i don't i'm not against political you know against social messages in movies but when movies start to get like very political or they try to ham fist too much into the film to make a statement I try to avoid that because it's like I'm trying to enjoy a movie, not hate it.
3: Um, but back to Jordan Peele, and, and the thing about Nope is I don't think uh, the social commentary he's making, at least as I personally interpret it, Cordell, is not even really about like injustice or anything. I think he's kind of making a, a statement about Hollywood and like the, the movie industry. Um and basically the issue i had with the movie is it was one. it went on for a bit too long and i get the sense that it might have leaned a little too much into metaphor and symbolism and i don't think it really to the detriment of the alien story does that make sense
2: yeah i hear what you're saying but having said that, I definitely
3: I definitely want to go back and rewatch it. I would love to listen to a commentary with Jordan Peele in that movie. I don't know if he does commentary tracks. But uh, it's it's an interesting film, so I can cautiously say I recommend seeing it just to kind of get uh, get what you will get out of it. But um, kind of a letdown after us, which I really enjoyed.
1: Oh,
2: well. Maybe I will have to check out some of his movies.
3: Um, Yeah, Us, man. Give, give it a watch, honestly. Really good. <clears throat> but, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all I've been watching, man. What have you been watching?
2: Well, I have an announcement for our listeners.
3: Oh, man. I don't know what this is, folks. This um, could be big.
2: I believe I said on this show... Once that I would never ever ever watch an Uber Bowl film or review it on this show, Mm -hmm. you know, for kind of like recap for our listeners Uber Bowl is a notorious filmmaker who takes beloved video game properties and just makes the absolute shit movies of them well
3: he is he is notorious for that
2: and i've also stated on the show that i don't watch zombie movies like i'm just not into the zombie genre oh
3: I, i'm gonna have to make you watch some then
2: i broke both those rules
1: what'd you watch
2: After listening to the Now Playing episode half a dozen times and watching some reviews of it on YouTube, I decided to actually sit down with my best friend, and we watched Uwe Boll's 2003 zombie flick, House of the Dead.
3: I hope you're on some substance while watching it, because I don't know if I could get through
1: it without it.
2: Oh my god, dude. So the announcement that I have for the listeners is: Houses of the Dead will be coming to Cinecall Podcast in the future. Oh! No.
1: Uh, oh!
2: No. Well, here's now here's the here's the thing, Luke. Is remember how you asked me if we could uh like have a night where we talk about a bad movie and drink?
3: Like we do every night?
2: <laughs> well.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We doing it for uh, House of the Dead?
2: I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and buy some liquor, and we're going to watch House of the Dead, and we're going to talk about it. Hell yeah, let's do it. And you know, and just so you know, you can find the movie for free on the app Plex, if you know what that – it's a, like a free movie site. Alright. Go um, on there and watch it for free and you don't need to pay for it.
3: So I guess you're gonna you're gonna keep it close to the vest, what you think of it then?
2: Oh my gosh. Let me just say that I really when I went into this movie, I was like, Is this movie really as bad as everybody says? Like is it really that terrible? It is, it, it really is. is. Really? <laughs> But there are some moments that I think were cool. And there was some, you know, I think like some of the zombies, like some of the makeup didn't look too bad. But I'm going to really keep it close to the best and what I have to say about it when we actually get to that point. But that review is going to be kind of off for a little while because we got some horror movies to get through for Halloween. But
3: all right, well, the listeners can stay, uh, stay in suspense.
2: Yes. That, Oh my God, dude, that movie was just, I think my best friend actually fell asleep in the middle of it.
3: That's never a good sign.
2: Yeah. Like he came over, stayed the night. We turned on the movie and about through the 40, 50 minute mark, I look over to say, like, because me and him like to talk through bad movies and just kind of laugh at him and poke fun at him. I mm-hmm. look over to say something to him and he's curled up on the fucking couch. Just kind of just done. <laughs>
3: That's amazing.
2: So I was like, well, I can see what he thinks about this movie. Um, what else have I been watching? I'm really trying to think. I did watch a couple episodes of that new She-Hulk TV series on
3: Disney. I I remember you said you watched the first one or whatever.
2: Yep, I did end up going and watching some of the newer episodes released. I really kind of like to let a few weeks pass so I can just kind of binge watch these shows. Mm -hmm. You know what? I don't think the show is really as bad as people say it is. There are a few times throughout the series where I'm like, yeah, the CGI looks a little eh, but I really don't think the show is that bad. I don't really know much about the She-Hulk character, but if I'm going to be honest, I'm enjoying this show a lot more than I did like WandaVision.
3: Well, you know me, Cordell, I have no idea what people think of this show, so
1: if you say it's all right. (laughs) I guess it's alright.
2: Uh, apparently, D- Disney is having an expo this weekend, and they've made a whole. I know thing- they
3: gotta. They gotta drag Harrison Ford back out so they can, you know, get the indie money train some more.
2: <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, they finally did announce some um, the Fantastic Four movie. I'm kind of excited for that. Hopefully, oh, maybe boy. they can. Well, you know, it's the MCU. I think they could make a good uh, Fantastic Four movie.
3: I'm going to be your resident crouch Cordell. You know that when it comes to the MCU.
2: I know. I know. It's,
3: but, I mean, um,
2: I mean now, you monster, know what? I
1: did, no, it's,
2: over, it's oversaturated. I get it. Like, there's, uh, there's just so many superhero movies coming out. That's all you ever really see in theaters anymore is the superhero films. Those are the blockbusters. You don't really see a bunch of, like, horror. You don't see a bunch of drama action. It's all superhero stuff. But so a part of me kind of gets it. But another part of me is kind of like my little inner geek is kind of like, ooh, I'm going to go see this.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a I, I think Disney does a good job of, like, um, definitely selling their stuff. You
2: know, um, if, it, if it makes you feel better. I never went to the theaters to see Morbius because I've pretty much given up on Sony and their attempts to try to make a good Spider-Man movie.
3: Oh, you know, it's you know, what's interesting with that is I, I really I'm a big Tom Hardy fan. And so I really do want to catch up with his two Venom movies um, because I've heard like middling reviews for those. and I, I like the character. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just I'm never I'm I'm never in the mood Cordell at home to be like. Let me sit down and watch a, you know, a superhero movie. Like, very rarely.
2: So what you're saying is we're not going to be doing the Marvel movies or DC movies on here in one long succession because then you'll probably leave.
3: Hell no. We can do Morbius, though. That
2: sounds awful. I'm not doing Morbius. You know, we're trying to do... It's Morbin time. We are trying to do... We're not just covering bad movies on this show. You realize that, right? We also cover good movies.
3: Yeah, like tonight. We're I'm actually we're we're excited. This I'm, this is going to be a good conversation.
2: Um, did you see uh, Trick or Treat Studios announced? Uh, made an announcement for their Halloween Zens mask.
1: Yeah, I did. They're uh they're
3: kind of a cool cool mask mask making studio. If people don't know, um, and they've actually kind of branched out into doing like uh figures and stuff lately. But yeah, I saw that. That's
2: cool. Did you see the new mask?
3: Uh, I did, but doesn't it basically look the same as Halloween Kills? Or am I am I off the mark
1: there?
2: It's basically Halloween Kills, except it looks like a lot of the burn is washed away, and they put something on the mask to make it look moldy. I think it looks like uh, Michael just got like a cum shot to the face.
3: <laughs> okay, moldy use. Okay, you know what, Cordell? Halloween ends starts with like. Michael Myers busting out of a coffin, Matt Cordell style. That'll. I gonna
2: be very pissed. That'll
3: make it. I'll stand that. up and cheer in the theater.
2: <laughs> I will be very pissed off if they do that, simply because when Blumhouse went on this road to say, "God damn it, we're back on Halloween again."
1: I know, right? Every every episode.
2: When it's it's then, all
3: leading up, and then we're both going to see Halloween ends, and then then we'll have, like, Halloween ends talk, and then we'll never talk about Halloween again.
2: <laughs> oh, no, we're definitely going to cover some of the Halloween movies on here. Um, when Blumhouse be- began this road to making these Halloween movies, they said, we're completely throwing out everything after one. We're throwing out the supernatural bit. We're throwing out the sister story. We're throwing all of that out. And yet, though they did throw out the sister storyline, they really kind of put themselves into a hole because now they've had to go back and make Michael Myers supernatural because it's the only way to explain how he could take as much abuse as he has. Like, I'm sorry. When those um, people gang up on him at the end of Halloween Kills, beating him and shooting him everywhere, you you just don't come back from that if you're a normal human.
1: Yeah, you know someone someone actually proposed
3: <clears throat> proposed an interesting thing, Cordell. I want I want to pick your brain about this. How would you feel, right? How would you feel if uh, and I, uh, we're tabling the whole Michael supernatural because I know you'd be pissed off about it. But someone was like, I like Halloween kills, but it was bullshit that he took all that. Um, all that abuse at the end and just got up and they were like, it would have been way better if like the movie ended after he got the shit beat out of him, and just like cut the black. And then in the next movie, like you open up with him like coming back to life and killing those people.
2: Well, what would you
3: think about that?
2: Well, first of all, I don't want to make it sound like I'm coming off as I'm against the supernatural Michael Myers, because I like those older Halloween movies. And I do think Michael is supernatural. I'm just kind of like, how are you going to tell us that you're getting rid of that storyline, but then you bring it back anyway? Like, you might as well have just never said anything to begin with. As it, for the, you yeah. know, as for that idea, I like the idea. Um, I think it'd be kind of interesting to see that. I really think it would have left you in suspense if they had ended the movie after, like, if Michael never got up. Or maybe if they actually had sheriff, uh, you know, formerly sheriff Brackett, you know, shoot him in the back of the head and be like, "There, we got him." But then we didn't. I,
3: I repeat, every every podcast, the best Halloween movie ending of all time, and fuck all the haters is Rob Zombies because it just ends a fucking lorry straddles Michael Myers, puts a gun on, up to his fucking head, pulls the trigger, yeah, cuts right? the black.
2: <laughs> it's
1: yeah, it's like I, fuck yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that was a really good ending because then you're like, well, what the fuck just happened? And then they fucked it up with what well, he fucked it up with H two.
1: Oh,
3: I like H 2 i We'll have to talk about that sometime. <laughs>
2: mm, you'll be talking about it. I'm just gonna sit in the back and just kind of like. I'm I'm
3: I'm the Rob Zombie defender. I'm I'm a Rob Zombie. I'm even excited for the monsters. Believe it or not.
2: You know what, I am kind of interested to see that, because that trailer they released looks so goddamn ridiculous.
3: The thing that pisses me off, did you see, so I first saw the trailer, someone put it in black and white up on YouTube, and I Mm -hmm. saw that first, I was like, oh, this looks pretty good, but (laughs) when I saw saw it in color? color, I was like, oh, this does not look good at all, so now I'm like... I feel like I should start a Twitter campaign. I'm like, Rob, no matter what you think of it, people will like it better if you make it black and white. I promise. (laughs) Just, like, you know, make it black and white, for the love of God. But I guess they're not going to do that.
1: Fucking awesome.
3: Um, But, but, yeah, I mean, like like it or not, Halloween ends. I mean, you gotta got to be curious about how it goes. So uh, Uh, I guess we'll see.
2: Only a couple more weeks. But, you
3: know what, I mean, it, uh, we all know, like, this movie is going to make a ton of money. They're they're not going to give up on Michael Myers yet. Like, it's, uh, they can call it Halloween ends all they like. But Michael Myers will be back.
2: Oh, I actually did watch something else. I actually watched a movie on YouTube. Found the whole oh. movie on YouTube and watched it. It's got to be one of the best movies ever made.
1: Well, what is
2: it? Surf Ninjas.
3: Surf <laughs> Nice. I've I heard of that. How is it?
2: You know what? It is really low budget and it's just kind of really one of those like 90s, like those weird 90s movies where it's really all just kind of slapstick and nonsensical, but it's fucking fun no matter how you look at it. Bernie um, Ray Jr. is in it. Who, I only know him from the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie.
1: Oh, um, he's that guy.
2: Yeah, he played Kino, the delivery boy. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah.
2: But he was fun in it. The movie's kind of funny. My friend watched it with me, and he's cra- he was cracking up dying, and I'm just, I was just kind of sitting there watching it and smirking, like, this is cute.
3: Yeah, the nineties. The nineties really was the golden age, I think, for that kind of like direct to video, like, but like not totally shitty. You know what I mean? Like, um,
2: the, my only issue with the movie was they had Leslie Nielsen as the villain. Wow. And he is completely waste. Yeah, it is so weird to see Leslie Nielsen in like kabuki, like get up, like samurai kabuki armor, and then. He's just wasted throughout the entire movie. He never even gets a good boss fight in. So it was so that was kind of disappointing.
1: Um
3: I'm looking at the poster for this movie. Oh my god. Sers <laughs> up, time to save the world. Oh jeez.
2: Oh, and Rob Schneider was in it too.
3: Oh my god.
2: Yeah, he was kind of annoying. I don't I, Sorry to all you Rob Schneider fans out there, but I don't like Rob Schneider. Every movie I see with him, he just annoys the hell out of me.
3: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of his. Um, I mean, some of his, like, so I actually kind of have a soft spot for, like, some of Adam Sandler's shit. Um, So, like, he's kind of funny in some of those, but, yeah, he's, uh, he's not my favorite um uh, speaking of that actually uh while we're talking about like 90s crap other night i half watched uh, sh- uh one of the shark attack movies shark attack 2 i think i'm a sucker for those like jaws ripoffs you know what i mean like there's a million shark movies
1: uh um, not, not
3: much to say about it because i like was half asleep through it but while you were talking <laughs> about like stuff involving the ocean and like cheap 90s movies uh
2: you know, while we're on the topic of movies, before we talk about the one that we want to, do you have any, like, uh, movies for the Halloween season that you got planned, lined up to watch?
1: Uh, I'm pretty
3: excited for, um, what is it, the one weekend in October, uh, Terrifier 2 comes out and the new Hellraiser comes out, I think the 7th and 8th weekend. I'm, not so I'm pre- pretty. I'm pretty excited for that one.
2: I'm not talking about like upcoming releases. I'm talking about like, do you have like old spooky movies, or Halloween theme movies that you uh, that you go back to and revisit every year?
3: Uh the one that comes to mind. I always get in a viewing of Sleepy Hollow. Are you a fan of this movie, Cordell?
2: Are we talking about the one with uh, Johnny Depp?
3: Yeah, it's it's Tim Burton's only like real horror movie, and I love it to death.
2: I have seen it. I actually have seen that movie and it was, uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I do remember it being like creepy. It creeped the hell out of me. And I thought it was an okay, I thought it was an okay movie. I'd have to revisit it.
3: It's got like that fall atmosphere, you know, like all the foggy, like woods and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. Um, what else? Definitely get in a viewing of trick or treat. Uh Nightmare Before Christmas is a favorite that I always watch. Love that movie.
2: I'm going to try to watch Ernest Scared Stupid this year.
3: Yeah, I do want to I do want to give that one a shot.
2: I I I love those Ernest movies. I I used to watch Ernest Scared Stupid and Ernest Goes to Camp religiously as a kid.
3: I I've, I think I've seen Ernest Goes to Camp like once. I I, I really need to watch Ernest Scared Stupid because I know everyone says that's like a classic.
2: That's a fun movie. I got a movie I want to drop on you. Tell me if you've ever heard of it. It was. <laughs> a, it's a, it was a it was a like a kids movie. It was like a kids Halloween movie. Um, it was made for TV, and I think it was based on a book by R.L. Stein and it had Christopher Lloyd in it, but it's called When Good Ghouls Go Bad.
1: Nah, I never heard of it.
2: That's, I actually have that one saved on my uh, hard drive. That's a really fun movie. Um, It's about a young boy. Um, His uncle is, like, the town hero, or, like, a founder of the town, and this town doesn't uh, celebrate Halloween. Well, we come to find out that the town weirdo, uh, a kid by the name of Curtis Danko, um, got locked in a kiln in his school's art class. And when they found his skeleton the next day, there was a message in the soot that said, if this town ever celebrates Halloween again, I will come back and destroy you. And Mm -hmm. what so... You know, not, so the town does is afraid to celebrate Halloween. Well, the the main kid, the our main character, his dad is trying to bring Halloween back, and everything. And then at some point, halfway through the movie, Christopher Lloyd dies, and then comes back as like a zombie. And then zombies. And then zombie start you know coming from the grave and putting up Halloween decorations. It's a really fun movie. Uh my mom had it on DVD. I used to watch it all the time. It was it was a movie I really enjoyed.
1: All right, yeah.
3: I mean it sounds interesting. I'll have to check it out.
2: Yeah, I don't know I don't exactly know where you can watch it. Maybe YouTube, but yeah, definitely check that one out if you get a chance.
1: All right, what'd you say it's called?
2: When good ghouls go bad.
1: When good ghouls go bad.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm
2: trying to
3: think about like what a good like classic. See, I know like as a kid I watched like all the like TV specials and shit with Halloween, but nothing really like comes to mind. Um, I mean, I do like me some Scooby Doo though.
1: So. Oh,
2: Scooby Doo! I used to own all the Scooby Doo movies as a kid. Growing up, I had Zombie Island, Cyber Chase, Witch's Ghost. Yeah, the
3: the nineties. Yeah, those those ones are the classics, dude. <clears throat> can't can't go wrong with that. And uh, the the Zombie Island is legit scary. I don't care what people say; that shit's creepy.
2: Okay, I have a little rant to say about Scooby Doo for for a minute though.
1: Hit it. Go for I, it.
2: I have seen some of the more recent Scooby Doo movies that came out. They actually did a sequel to Zombie Island called Return to Zombie Island. And I just want to say, I really don't like the way they portray Velma in these newer movies. Because they really kind of made her as one of those stuck up her own ass. Science has the answer to everything and there's no such thing as ghost and poo poo on you for believing it.
3: So they don't uh, they don't keep of continuity is what you're saying.
2: Pretty much. I'm ju- I'm just going to spoil this little bit. It, when they do the unmasking of the villains in the Zombie Island sequel, everyone in the gang is like, but we were here before. We fought zombies. And Velma's like, no, we didn't. It was swamp gas.
3: Oh, my. So they just totally, like, ignore the uh, ignore the movie.
2: They really make Velma really unlikable. I I did not like I do not like her in these newer movies. Now, they what they did come out with a Halloween Scooby Doo movie a couple years ago that had a uh, Scarecrow from the Batman universe in it, and they they also got uh, Cassandra Peterson to portray herself as Elvira.
3: So one of those things I really like, and one of those things I think is dumb as shit. <laughs> Now, uh, you okay. guess, Cordell. What? Uh, now, one of those plot points I really like, and one of those plot points I think is dumb as shit.
2: Uh, I'm going to say you like Alvira, and you don't like the Scarecrow. You are correct. <laughs> oh, I mean, who doesn't yeah. like Elvira, though?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've kind of quasi-looked at some of those new, newer Scooby-Doo movies. But, yeah, I mean, the animation just kind of, I don't know. I think it's kind of going downhill. And
2: the animation doesn't bother me too much. Like, I can get past the animation. It's just don't make Velma so damn unlikable because, that like, you know, everyone else in the gang, you know, seems to have the continuity of remembering but Velma's just like, no, no, I have the science. Science will explain everything. I'm not watching Scooby-Doo for science.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: You know. But I do kind of have a controversial opinion on the Scooby-Doo universe. And what's uh I love Scrappy-Doo.
3: Oh, I mean, I never minded Scrappy-Doo. I'm a, I'm actually a big fan of... Uh... I think they're the 80s, but you know, like the old movies where it's just uh, Scooby, Shaggy, and Scrappy, like like the Boo Brothers. You ever see that one? That's Boob like uh, yep. that's like
2: a classic. I love Boo Brothers, but my favorite was uh, Scooby-Doo in the Ghoul School.
3: Yeah, that's another good one. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I, I don't get the hate for Scrappy. I mean now. I never really watched the show with Scrappy but at least there's like a couple movies with him I think are pretty Okay, pretty
2: so. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I did watch the original show where Scrappy first appeared and it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Elmo. You know when Elmo first <laughs> Elmo pe- <laughs> Just listen. <When laughs> Elmo first Come on. don't laugh, don't laugh. When Elmo first appeared on Sesame Street, he had a very gruff Like, gringy voice that was like, hey, you know what? What are you doing? Before they changed (laughs) the voice to that more high-pitched, cuddly, Elmo loves everybody! The original voice for Scrappy was bad. Really? Until they got to the voice that we know of him in, like, Boo Brothers and Ghoul School, his original voice was really
1: bad. Huh, I so,
2: did not know that. Yeah, I was not a fan, but yeah, I I like Scrappy Doo. He's actually one of my favorite Scooby Doo characters. I like him a lot better than Scooby Dumb.
3: Oh yeah, there is that like stupid uh and we're getting we're getting into Scooby the Scooby Doo you know. Yeah, he does have that stupid uh like dumb cousin, right? Or whatever.
2: Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Oh man. <laughs> yeah.
3: What were you thinking, Hanna Barbera back in the 80s or whatever? Shame on you.
2: Uh, but that's all I have for news. And what have you been watching? And personal hot takes.
3: Personal hot takes. Ah, uh, trying to think if there's any any news or anything that's been out.
2: Oh, did there's you did mention different. the new Hellraiser. What did you think about the design for the new Hell Priestess?
3: Oh yeah, there's the new Pinhead. I I think it was bitching, dude. Uh they released they released a new picture and we haven't seen the full so they released a pick of Pinhead and then a release of some other Cenobite who's just like totally all fucked up and flayed. Did you see that one?
2: Yes, I did. I was like um, he was completely naked, like he had no clothes on and I'm like where is his penis? <laughs>
3: but uh yeah i mean i think i think pinhead pinhead looks bitchin um it looks like he's got like did you see that like his throat, their throat is like skinned or whatever like i don't know i i think I'm, I'm excited now now granted i mean full disclosure if they follow the the style of the original hellraiser we're only going to see the Cenobites for like five minutes but
2: um you gotta say like when i looked at the picture of the new pinhead i noticed like the cuts and everything on like her neck and everything and that, and I thought it looked kind of weird, kind of like you know like a pie. You, you know. Oh, I- oh yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it it kind of almost looks like that like pie design, but like not really.
3: But yeah, I mean, I mean the makeup looks pretty good, but you know, good makeup does not a
1: good movie make. So, oh. we shall have to see.
2: Luke dropping words of wisdom.
1: Now
3: I say that I'm a big terrifier fan and that's let's like what a lot of people's um criticism of terrifier is. It's all like a bunch of gore gags and not like a very good movie.
1: But that's beside the point.
2: Well, are you ready to get into our movie for the night? Yeah, that's
3: that's all I had, man. Let's uh Yeah, let's talk some Town That Dreaded
1: Sundown.
2: All right, everybody. So we are talking about The Town That Dreaded Sundown. As stated, it was directed and produced by Charles B. Pierce. It stars, we have to find the cast list here, Ben Johnson as Captain DJ Morales, Andrew Pine as Deputy Norman Ramsey, Don Wells as Helen Reed, one of the victims in the film, uh, Charles B. Pierce actually plays in the movie as Patrolman Benson, <laughs> a, fiction, a fictional comic relief character. Who? What do they? What does he say? People call him in the movie Sparkplug.
3: He Sparkplug. We're going to talk about
1: Sparkplug. I uh, love Sparkplug.
2: We've also got some other people here. I don't think they ever went on to do anything else. Christine Ellsworth, Cindy Butler. The Phantom was played by a man called Bud Davis, who, interesting piece of trivia here, later worked as a stunt coordinator on films like Forrest Gump, Castaway, and Inglorious Bastards.
3: Wow, I did not know that. That's cool.
2: So, before we get into the movie, kind of a brief rundown of this film. The Town of Dreaded Sundown is a horror movie that is loosely based, again, as I said, on the 1946 Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Um, the man who committed these crimes was known as the Phantom Killer. Nobody knows who he was because he wore a white uh, burlap bag on his head, a la Jason and Friday the 13th Part 2. Actually, I think this movie kind of inspired Jason's look for that movie.
3: So that was my question, Cordell. In real life, did the killer actually wear the burlap sack, or did they make that up for the movie?
2: Um, I do have a book that's called um, uh, Unlocking the Secrets of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. It's a really good book. And from what I can gather, what the book says is, yeah, the killer did wear something over his head. The only difference, the only difference is that the the movie killer has only two eye holes cut out and supposedly in real, the real life killer had two eye holes and a mouth hole cut out. So it kind of looked more like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow instead. Interesting. But, um, so this movie is loosely based on those crimes. Um. Obviously, there are scenes that were added for dramatic effect. Uh, we'll get into it, but more than not, this is—if you want a movie about the about um, these killings—this is probably the closest you'll get to a recreation of that.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was filmed in the real town, right? Um, filmed with people who were alive when it actually happened. I mean, the director is from Texarkana. One of, my
2: favorite, <clears throat> it's, one of my favorite things about this film's legacy is every Halloween, Texarkana, Texas, and Arkansas show this movie every year for free at um, like their drive-in theater.
3: They do. Um, it even, uh, it plays into the plot of the remake, which we might talk about briefly. At uh,
2: the end briefly.
3: Because I have seen it, although not recently. Have you seen the remake, Cordell?
2: I have seen it. I saw it, uh, I think I saw it right after it came out.
3: Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later.
2: So, <clears throat> when the movie starts, we get a voiceover narration.
3: Yeah, that's that's the first surprise, honestly, is that this movie is dare I say a docudrama because throughout the movie you get a very smooth talking narrator um uh, describing shit.
2: Uh yes, the narrator was it was narrated by a man called Vern Steelman. Uh, so like,
3: so like not bad.
2: According to this he had also narrated another movie that uh, pierce made the 1972 film the legend of boggy creek
3: yeah that's his uh his other claim to fame i i haven't seen it it's on my to watch list
2: suppose to... uh, i haven't seen uh, Bo- i haven't seen boggy creek but i um kind of read about it apparently that also takes place in like the texas arkansas area too
1: yeah, he's kind of like the local filmmaker of Note. Um, he's like Texas, the hometown Indiana. boy. But yeah, I mean, it kind of was shocking. because
3: So I, I've owned this Blu-ray for probably five years and never watched it. I and really, so I popped, I popped this fucker in. I, really I had no idea.
2: it's on that Blu-ray.
3: And just to say, it does look pretty good. Some scenes still were a little dark and there was some print damage. But overall, the movie looked really good. <laughs> um... But, yeah, it was kind of shocking, like, as soon as I popped it in, we you get, like, a couple minutes of narration just, uh, like, talking about, like, the end of World War II and it's Texarkana and people are worried about their jobs. But overall, everyone's, like, pretty optimistic. Like, it was kind of kind of interesting to get that.
2: And that's one of the thing. that's one of the first things about this story that intrigues me is, yes, so the Moonlight Murders took place eight months after World War Two officially came for, to an end. So, you know, right off the back there, we don't have to worry about Japan or Nazis. We are straight after World War Two, and I believe at this point now in world history, we are actually in the midst of, like, the Cold War beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, the Cold War, and I think even the narrator says that Amer- that Americans are worried about the uncertainty with our former Russian allies. uh, So, you know, World War II's ended, everybody from Texarkana who went and fought in the war is coming home, they're going to college under the GI Bill, they're working at the factories. Everything is looking pretty good until that one fateful night on Sunday, March 3rd, 1946, when two young lovers, Sammy Fuller and Linda Mae Jenkins, parked their car on Lover's Lane. And right off the bat we are actually thrown into our very first attack of the film.
3: I gotta say, Cordell, this this shocked the hell out of me, because what what year is this movie coming out in? Seventy six or something. So this like that. movie
2: comes so this movie comes out in seventy-six, but the movie is supposed to be taking place in nineteen forty six.
3: But, I mean, so I knew this movie was kind of like a hometown, like homegrown regional sort of movie, um, you know, made on a low budget, made like by not amateurs, but, you know, not like top quality people. But, I mean, this opening attack is fantastic. Like, it is brutal. It is scary.
2: It is like, suspenseful. Like, it's all yeah, that. Yes. Uh,
3: I mean, the killer's look in this movie, they do They do the sack head, um, like, way better than Friday the 13th, too. Like, when the killer's breathing and you see it going in and out, and yeah. how they, like, light his eyes, like, this killer is a menacing motherfucker.
2: Was, it it happens several times throughout the movie, but, like, when the killer pops up, he pops up at a distance, and then the camera just zooms in on his mask. hmm I love it. I love that. Like I like this
3: opening, like I just love how it just escalates because they're like, OK, the car won't start. And I love how our, our opening dude is like trying to get with this chick and she's like not having it. And it's like he's, she's like, I hear someone outside. He's like, that's the oldest trick in the book.
2: Uh, yeah, that's oof. <laughs> but um, I really like when he's trying to start the car, like when the Phantom shows himself. The guy start. The guy is like trying to start the car, and the Phantom just holds up the wires, like "Ha ha, you can't go anywhere, bitch."
3: Yeah, and this movie, this movie's educational, cause it taught me those old cars are not built for shit. Cause that dude smashes through the fucking windshield like no tomorrow. Um, um,
2: and I love the blood effect on the glass, like when she looks out, like.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say that, so he grabs the guy and rips him out through the windshield, and we don't really see what goes on, but we get that great shot of, like, the broken glass and there's blood all over it.
2: Yeah, that Sammy Fuller guy cut the
1: fuck up.
3: Um... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 awesome. Like, uh, yeah, this opening kill just like grabbed me. Like I was I was seriously I was like, holy I, shit. I, I, I,
2: it's but it's not an opening kill because they both survive.
3: Yeah, that was kind of shocking because we cut to the, the woman on the side of the road like all beat to hell. And the car swerves over and stops for, and then we get like the awesome credit sequence, like it cuts to the sun going down, and we get the you know the town that dreaded sundown, which I gotta say is there is there a better title for a movie like
2: I'm really glad you brought that up because I was gonna say, you know that it's a long title, but for the story that you're trying to say trying to tell, there really is no better title to describe what happened in this town when these killings occurred.
3: And should should we quick do a digression to talk
1: about the poster?
2: Oh, yes. So I love this poster, everything about it. My favorite, I've always, always, always loved the phantom killer overlooking the town with the print at the top saying, in 1946, this man killed five people. Today, he still looks the street of Texarkana, Arkansas.
1: I know I,
3: I was reading online that they actually got in trouble for that one, like because the town the, the like town mayors and shit were like, you know, pissed off that they said he still is around. Um, But yeah, and the art's done by Ralph McQuarrie, who Star Wars fans will know, of course.
2: Oh, yeah. As the, uh, I watched, uh, the guy I- who, I've looked at a lot of his uh, Star Wars concept art and a lot of the art he did for those movies. And my God, that man had talent.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's a great poster. They do, they do the sundown theme because the killer's coming in as it's blue into orange over the town. And yeah, that tagline is fantastic. Like, can you just imagine, Cordell, like there's no internet, you know nothing. You're going you to the some movies the and other post- you
2: just... You know some of the other posters that... McCoy was known for too than just Star Wars, right?
3: I know he did Boggy Creek as well.
2: He did Charles boggy Cruise. Creek, he did Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Battlestar Galactica, and he also did the original poster for Back to the Future.
1: Oh really? I didn't know that,
2: so I mean he made a career making and you know what to can we just talk about you know you kind of mentioned it with the Elm Street posters. And I always bring this up when I tell people how I miss the days of the VHS tape and looking at box cover art. But the 80s and the 70s and the like—they just had these really cool acrylic-painted box covers.
3: I was gonna say, well, what's the last movies that did that? I, I know George Lucas for the Star Wars prequels still had that style, right? For like Attack of the Clones
2: and all yes they did actually i believe that might have yep. been
3: that might have been the last ones i can think of but yeah I, I wish movies would go back to that kind of like just as an example these new halloween movies right because we can never stop talking about fucking halloween but like all <laughs> they do is they just slap fucking michael myers face over half the poster you know what i mean it's like oh my god
2: <laughs> but I mean, but yeah
3: the, the art of the movie poster is really dead <laughs>
2: But, you know, that's the thing is when you really look back, I, I don't think any genre of movies really utilized the acrylic postal art better than horror movies. You know, A Nightmare on Elm Street, some of the Friday the 13th posters, uh, Maniac Cop even had that. The Burning
3: is a great poster.
2: Burning, uh, The Prowler. You know, this, oh, yeah, The
3: Prowler is fantastic.
2: You know, these movies just had really interesting, uh, you know, even, what's a bad movie I can throw in there? Phenomena, that Dario Argento movie.
3: Girl, are you saying Phenomena's bad,
2: Cordell? It's, an, it's, mm.
3: Get off this podcast. I'm just kidding. I I like Phenomena. It's definitely it's it's not Argento's like best, but
2: I did like. Yeah, that that
3: has great cover art.
2: I did like the monkey with the razor blade. (laughs) That was fun.
3: (laughs) Um. But yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. The art, the art of the good movie poster is pretty dead. I mean, just to, to, as an example, like the new Star Wars films, right? Like they try to emulate the style, but it's it's not You can tell it's not a painted poster, and that's that's Disney with you know unlimited money, and they can't even splurge for a nice like acrylic painted poster.
2: Oh, and that's a, very yeah. sad. Okay, look at Disney. Look at some of the old Disney movies. The old Disney posters were all painted in acrylic, and they looked phenomenal. I remember seeing the original poster for the Black Cauldron when that came out in the eighties.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say that. Like, that's got an amazing poster. Um, so, Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings is another one. That's a that's a great poster. <clears throat> But yeah, I mean the the poster for this movie is fantastic. Um, so so it, it it's it's worth our due diligence to take a digression and talk about. It.
2: Yeah. So after the attack, we cut to the next morning, and as Luke said, Linda is found barely alive, and this is where we are introduced to Deputy Ramsey.
3: Who I didn't know this guy's name for like half the movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't he doesn't make too much of an impression, but you kind of get the sense here that he's gonna be our main character.
3: And and this brings up an interesting point, Cordell. And correct me if I'm wrong here. So in the movie, they have they have a sheriff's department, which Ramsey's a part of. But they also have a police department. Now, is the implication because Texarkana is both in Texas and Arkansas, right? It's like on the border. Is the uh, is the idea that like the sheriff's department are like the Texans and the police department is the Arkansas people, or am I am I incorrect in thinking
2: that? If I've read about Texarkana correctly, they do have separate police departments and everything. They've got their own separate governments. They got their own. Like everything is separate from each other. Because one side is for Texas. And one side is for Arkansas. Interesting. So. He uh, gets on the horn. And he asks dispatch to have Sheriff Barker meet him at the hospital. Where they tried to interview Linda. But, you know, that doesn't really go so well because she is basically, at this point, canatonic.
3: And we get the interesting detail that both of them have survived um, and the guy got the shit beat out of him, basically, but the woman has been chewed, like
1: bitten all over.
2: Yep, the doctor says her back, her stomach, and her breasts. So right there, that's telling the audience, hey, we got a really weird... Sicko motherfucker out here on the loose. Mm. But they, but they do make, um, they do make a distinction that she was not raped.
3: Yeah, and um, they play it, uh, talking back to the true crime point. I mean, this is all stuff you would see in like a modern docudrama or modern true crime stuff. So it really impressed me how they they went into the police procedure, bit.
2: So we cut back to the police station and Ramsey is meeting with Barker and some other guy who I don't know. I, I, I had a hard time keeping track of names. In Dude, the,
3: the poli- they keep like making a point about the police chief, but he doesn't do anything in the whole movie. And then if, like even at the end, the jump ahead, like they get like the police chief did this. I'm like, he didn't do anything.
2: This is also the scene where we're introduced to Sparkplug.
3: Now, here's the thing, Cordell. So we get introduced to you. What the hell is his real name? Clemson or Benson.
2: something like
3: that? Benson. He's like on the phone, like threatening some woman. He's like, you no. keep your, you know what I mean? He's like yelling at her. Did, did you? So for the for this no, initial he's not thing, I was like. He's
2: a woman. He's, I don't know if, like, if he's yelling at the woman's husband or the woman's boyfriend. But like he answers the phone and he tells her, you don't have to put up with that. Get your husband on the phone. What the hell are you thinking acting like that?
3: See, I I didn't realize. I guess we're supposed to take this as comedic effect. But I thought, Cordell, I was like, oh, are we supposed to suspect this guy? Because then, like, he kind of gets chewed out because he's, like, making threat. And he's like, you know, I'm going to shoot your dog and shit like
2: that. It's like, I'm going to pump six rounds into that dog.
3: And then he gets told off by the chief. But I thought... I thought we were supposed to think, oh, this guy might be the killer.
2: I love how you got that woman at dispatch who's just kind of making these weird faces every time Benson, like, makes a threat.
3: But did you think that for this first scene, or did you just think it was, like, comedic relief?
2: I thought it was just supposed to be for comedic effect. You know, maybe back then when police brutality was funny.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, I mean that just
1: that scene was very confusing.
2: So we cut to March twenty fourth, and we're introduced to Emma Lou Cook and Howard Buddy Turner.
1: And I, this is the
3: real shocker because I was like, okay, we got the narration for the opening. That's fine. That makes sense, right? I, but then we cut to this, and the narrator's back, and he's like, "Here's a you know Howard Turner and Emma Lou Parker." I
2: I'm do just want like, oh, this is gonna keep going. I do want to kinda of note here that all the names of the victims in this movie have been changed. Um, Wikipedia, various true crime books they do have the actual victims' names. I will not be reading their names, you know, just kind of out of respect. um so I'll just call them the names that they were given in the movie, but uh. I was reading my uh, Texarkana book about the killings and this Howard uh, Turner character, you know how the uh, narrator calls him, said he was a CB in the war when he came home? hmm I actually, the actual victim that he's based on was a CB in real life, and he had actually worked on some of the battleships at Pearl Harbor after the attack and throughout various uh, islands throughout the war. So I like how they try to keep some of that, um, those small details in here for the victims.
3: Yeah, I mean, from what I read, Cordell, I mean, obviously they changed some of the attack stuff, but overall, this is... Uh... This is pretty accurate, I mean, you know in so far as it goes, I mean there's nothing in here, at least to my mind, that's like,
2: but can you it, it,
3: it does a good job of like giving you the general like, yeah, this is pretty much what happened, you know what I mean,
2: yeah, but can you just can you wrap your head around that for a second, like this guy went off to war, he was at Pearl harbor, he you know. You know, being a CB is not exactly a fully safe job. Sometimes those guys can come under fire, too. And you go to war, you survive this entire terrible conflict that's called World War II, and you come home and you get capped by some freak in a hood.
3: Well, they shouldn't have been macking on the 17-year-old, dude.
2: But um, (laughs) I'm just going to...
3: I love their exchange in the car. Did you guys know when he's literally like, she's like, "You miss Japan?" He's like, "Well, the chick's there knew how to please a man." It's like, "Oh my
2: god, dude, love that!" he's like, (laughs) "You probably miss Japan, don't you? Why would I miss Japan? All those Japanese women? Well, they do know how to make a guy feel good."
3: (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) And then she just like she goes with it. She's like, "Oh, whatever." She's like. He's like, oh, well, you brought it up.
2: <laughs> Take it on. That's when he realized he fucked up.
3: Yeah, that made me laugh. So, but yeah, I mean, I would say that Cordell. I'm like, hey, man, he doesn't want to get capped by the hooded guy. He shouldn't be macking on the 17 year old. So, but hey, we, it is Texas. So, you know. Yes,
2: it is Texas. <laughs> and this is also a very different era where that was actually not as frowned upon as it is today. But uh so hey,
3: this was a cool this is a cool scene.
2: Ramsey goes for a drive, he, you know, he's just kind of got a gut feeling. And
3: yeah, it, it shows him talking to the chief, Or not the chief. I think it is uh Benson or whoever and he's like it's been like 3 weeks. I just got a gut feeling he's going to strike again.
2: Yeah, they got they the narrator makes a point that the town has kind of calmed down over the first attack. So mm-hmm. He goes for a drive down the lover's lanes and he kind of gets out of his car, puts on his uh, April O'Neil raincoat. So he don't get wet and he hears some gunshots. So he hops on the horn. He calls for backup and goes to where the uh, gunshots were and he finds uh, Howard Turner's car.
3: And this was good suspense, because he rolls up and sees the car, and he, and he's walking up. I love how he pops up and just instantly has the shotgun up. He's like, you know, get out of the car or whatever. Um, but I was, like, on the edge of my seat a little bit, Cordell, because he walks up and throws open the door, and it's empty. I thought for sure they were going to be dead inside of it.
2: And, you know, but, I I I thought so, too. I misremembered how this scene played out. I thought uh buddy's body was gonna like fall out of the car when he opened the door but
3: and it's um i think this scene did a really good job of showing you because like as soon as ramsey hears the gunshots and the empty car he's rushing back he's like where's backup?" and one guy's like i'm on his way and i think it did a good job of like showing like because if you're all alone and you know there's some crazy mofo out there with a gun it's like well you know, his duty is to protect the people, but, like, should he go out by himself? Like, I don't know. It, it did a good job kind of portraying, like, you know, what would you do in that situation? You know what I mean?
2: You know, I always kind of wondered, you know, why didn't the Phantom just kind of stick around and wait to shoot um, Ramsey when he turned up? But, you know, killing a cop would have a bunch of heat brought out on you. So... He hears some more gunshots and he goes to a ditch and he finds uh, Turner in the ditch dead. And yeah, you know we get some nice little blood effect there on his forehead. And then he goes a little bit further into the woods and he finds Emma Lou Cook tied to a tree. And here's an interesting detail: when it when the camera zooms on her shoulder. I never noticed the bite mark on her back. I only noticed the bullet wound. So this
3: oh, see, that's that really got me. That was like a like holy shit moment because the makeup effects are really good. And yeah, it's not just one bite mark. She's got a bunch on her back, and it looks it's it's a like brutal yeah, scene. Th-
2: this viewing, I actually, when they did that, I noticed when they. Zoomed in on her back. I was like, oh, this is not just a bullet hole there. There's fucking bite marks. Um, I kind of do like uh, Ramsey's... When he finds Turner's body. He's just standing over this dead kid. And he's like, my God. Oh, my God. And
3: um, I don't know if it was in the uh, obvious in the cut you watch, Cordell. But on the Blu-ray, it's pretty obvious like day for night photography. <laughs> because you see... You see um the body line there, like in full view. It's obviously daytime, but Ramsey has to like stumble around with his flashlight, like he can't see him for a while. Yeah, the, <laughs> but it's the, like he's very clearly there.
2: The version that I watched it was kinda like messed with the way it didn't look like night, but it was kinda like it looks stormy outside.
3: Oh, on the on the Blu-ray it's crystal it's crystal clear. <laughs> So so that was kind of amusing,
2: so after this murder, the town is now starting to panic, and like, i like I like what, how
3: they cut to the the empty gun
2: counter. Do <laughs> <laughs> I know there's just one gun sitting in there, and I'm like that's not realistic because all those guns would have been gone. Um, mm-hmm. Guns are going out of town locksmiths are getting orders out the ass for safety locks and equipment. And I know.
3: I, I want to say that was another tagline for this movie. I've heard it's like something along the lines of, like, before this, everyone everyone kept their house unlocked at night. After this, no one would,
1: or something like that.
2: <clears throat> you know, I do want to pause here for a second, because... I feel like I saw this movie a long time ago when I was a lot younger. And I didn't know it at the time. But I just remembered a woman in her room coming, like, downstairs finding her husband dead. And then, except I might have misremembered the scene because in this movie, the phantom breaks through the door.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And the scene that I remembered is she turned around and screamed. And there was just a hooded man just standing at the door, but he didn't do nothing. He didn't attack or nothing. But I I could swear. I watched this movie a long time ago when I was like six or seven years old and didn't even know it at the time.
3: Yeah, that would be scary. Uh, we should note, actually, that in the last scene, um, while Ramsey's finding the bodies, it we see the phantom like kind of get to his car and... Uh, or does he steal the people's car? I, I, that wasn't really clear to me.
2: See, he, he, is driving, into a, he is driving a stolen car, but it's not the people that he just killed.
3: Oh, it, see, yeah, that wasn't very clear to me. But, yeah, so while Ramsey is looking at the bodies, we cut back to the Phantom hopping in his car and driving off.
2: <clears throat> so um, at this point, the town is going in full panic mode, and the police decide they're going to call in for help. And I thought
3: we were going to get fucking Chuck Norris cuz they're like we're calling in the lone wolf and I'm like lone wolf McQuaid is that Chuck Norris I think it is
2: well I mean he is a Texas Ranger
3: Yeah I was like if Chuck Norris shows up in this movie I'm going to like I'm going to have an aneurysm <laughs> but no it is not Chuck Norris sadly
2: Oh that's funny But they end up getting the famous criminal investigator in the country, Lone Wolf, Texas Ranger, Captain J.D. Morales.
3: Played by Ben Johnson, who horror fans probably know as the conductor from Terror Train and who was in like a million westerns
2: and stuff. So Morales comes in. Ramsey meets him at the train station stops by to pick up a cigar and they go back to the uh, police uh, department. And Morales pretty much lays his foot down and says, okay, I'm going to be in charge of this investigation. These are my rules. No, no press, no bystanders, nothing.
3: Yeah, he's smart. That was another, like, true crime because nowadays you see the cops always do this, right? Like, they're like, we're not going to release anything to the press. And he's like, all right, we're not going to talk to the press. Like, he, he, there's like, some reporter who's like, or not, some guy who's like, I want to know what's going on. He just, like, shuts in now. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I was like, all right, shit's serious now.
1: Well,
2: one interesting thing about this is that the real Texas Ranger that Morales is based on. When he got to Texarkana, his first question was, do you guys have any evidence? Did you guys seal off the crime scenes? Because when you read this book, you know, back then it was really, it was a lot different when shit like this happened. you know, people would see a bunch of police cars and a crowd would gather. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. People just be tramping through the crime scene and... Nobody was really taking that shit serious because this happened in a time before DNA and forensics and that were really a big thing. So the actual Texas Ranger got this, this, you know, do you have crime scene photos? Do you have this? Do you have that? And they were like, no. He's like, well, how the hell am I supposed to catch this guy if you guys keep ruining the crime scenes? Mm hmm. So.
1: And, and the
3: movie does a good job of, like, showcasing that. Like, he's the real deal. Like, he knows what he's
1: doing.
2: So, um, Ramsey is assigned to assist Morales, and Spockplug is assigned to be his driver.
3: Oh, my God. All right. I, just as a spoiler, Cordell, I do really like this movie, but this scene is intolerable. We get, like, five straight minutes of fucking spark plugs going to be your driver what do they call you spark plug and he's like oh wait i forgot the keys rushes up inside this oh, through mm-hmm. his desk and then we okay. have to get the yuck yuck line where the captain's like what are you looking for and he's like i can't find the keys and then the captain goes like you know well look over on the board and then oh, the camera no, like, zooms in like, on like, the key
2: driving number seven benson well what the hell is that right there
3: and we even we, we basically get the like wah wah you know what I mean like it's it's just oh my god
1: <laughs> oh. it's
3: uh I mean I it, it you know what I mean it's like Betty Hill like yuck yuck kind of
1: crap
2: <laughs> you know I did not remember but there are a few scenes in this movie that just drag on and on and on and I actually found myself fast forwarding through some of these scenes.
1: I never not. fast. I never
3: fast forward, but I was like, okay, this this is just like we need the pad the running time.
2: <laughs> um, I actually did fast forward to the next scene that we get, which is the school prom.
3: Oh yeah, that's another scene that went on forever. Yeah, we we get we cut to the school prom. Well, oh, actually, oh. hold up, be, before
2: that, we're missing some scenes. So the comedy continues because. Ramsey visits Morales at the local barber shop and tells him that he has a theory that the Phantom attacks every twenty one days, usually when the moon is full. So And hey, did you catch this, Cordell? He like
3: sits down. The barber like doesn't do anything. The barber like combs his hair or something. And then he gets up, he's like, All right, that'll be good. It's like you didn't nothing happened. <laughs> he gives the barber a fucking tip.
2: Hey man, you gotta support your local business. <laughs> um so they decide they're going to try to trick the phantom uh at this point they do say that morales has some cops some extra cause and the fbi are in town now to help catch this guy so what they're going to do and, is they're going to set up decoys on and, the- and this is where
3: the narrator gets that gets snarky because he's like spark plug signed up not knowing what it would entail. And <laughs> <laughs> we cut to fucking all these cops and drag.
2: I was watching this.
1: And
2: two things. A, I really do like Ramsey's uh, little jab. Like, hey, Benson, you looking a little lopsided there?
1: And he's like, go to the hell, Ramsey. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> that was funny. But when these, when these guys came out dressed up in drag... All I was thinking was Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> and all I could hear in the back of my head was, "I'm just a sweet transvestite." <laughs> That's all I could think of watching this scene.
3: Yeah, you're you're right though, because this goes on for ever, and, um, and not I like, only do it...
2: when we actually see Benson in the car with his partner.
3: Yeah, we, we have to get five minutes of his partner, like, macking on Benson. He's like, we got to make it look real.
2: I I love it how the scene, like, he reaches over to touch one of Benson's fake boobs, and Benson just has enough, and he goes to hit the guy, and we cut away.
3: Yeah, that was pretty funny. But in between that, if you're not entertained enough, we we cut back to the high school prom, and we, we get, get literally, like... We get, like, five minutes of... Not five minutes, I'm exaggerating. We get these chicks, like, spiking the drink, right? And this chick has... She's, like, cracking up. She has, like, a shot of gin in her, and she's like, this is amazing. I'm just like, oh, my God.
2: I did like that. That even just goes to show you that even back in 1946, people were not pure.
3: Oh, hell no, which which is even funnier. Okay, did did you catch this part, Cordell? Because they're, like... We cut back to the cops at the station, and they're like, all right, where are all the kids? They're at the prom, and they're like, all right, how long is that going to go? And they're like, "Uh, I should get out at, like, 1.30. (laughs) And I was like, in the morning? And then we cut to the prom. The clock reads, Cordell, 1.40.
2: This is 1.40 a.m., and they're
3: like, let's break for the prayer. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God.
2: Oh, my God, if that doesn't take you back to a time that doesn't exist, prayer in school.
3: Yeah, but they're doing it at, like, two in the morning.
2: Hey, man, this is, like, Texas, Arkansas. Don't fucking tell them how to, you know...
1: Yeah, but, okay, I, I didn't go to
3: my prom. I don't know if you did, Cordell, but does it go on till fucking two in the morning? Does
2: I wouldn't happen? Know I, was, I wouldn't know. I was kicked out of my school.
3: Nice. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. We'll have to talk about that one off here. So, um... But yeah, that just blew my mind. I was like, these people are like, they're, they're you know, do-wop until one in the morning. I was like, oh, my God.
2: So the high school prom, it's now April 14th. And we have uh, Peggy Loomis leaving with her boyfriend, Roy Allen. And they go out to the call And Allen's like, You don't mind getting home a little late, do you? You want to go out to our favorite spot? And she's kind of like, I don't know. That phantom killer hasn't been caught yet. Don't worry, baby. We'll be fine. (laughs) She's kind of playing into that early stereotype of slasher movies of. If you just wouldn't have been horny, you probably would be alive.
3: Yeah, but then when they cut to them in the car, the guy's, like, sleeping on her. Did you catch that, Cordell? Yeah, I don't don't even know if they fooled around.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that was. Like, I thought it was supposed to be the other way around. She's supposed to be sleeping against you. But, hey, it's Texas.
3: But then we get, I don't know, I'm I'm torn. Is this the best scene in the movie, Cordell? This whole sequence?
2: It's definitely interesting um, because I did not remember this scene. So the Phantom comes up to the door and he tries to uh, pull he tries to open it and pull Roy out of the car while Roy actually gets the car started and um, yeah we
3: get this so we get this cool like he's stalking them, and we cut back into the car and she's like ah it's like 2 30 or whatever i gotta get home i'm gonna be in trouble and he's like ah five more minutes baby and she's like nah i gotta get home and we see the killer like creeping up to the car but he's finally like okay whatever so he starts it and we get this interesting like the killer's kind of like Trying to, like, stay out of view. And, like, he actually, like, is moving the car, right? Like, so you're like, oh, are they going to get away? Um, But, yeah, the killer, the killer... I didn't get this, Cordell, because the guy actually starts driving a little bit. Was the killer, like, holding on to the door but just out of sight? Like, because then he pops up outside the window, but the car is in motion.
2: Well, no, he he pops up and tries to grab... Roy and that's when Roy hits the gas pedal and they kind of like end up driving around in a circle and the Phantom is just holding on for dear life trying to get this guy out of the driver's seat
3: yeah that was because like the doors open and that killer and that's some some stunt man or whatever is actually holding on to that door while that car is like running around that was impressive
2: and I have to say you can tell this was in an era but uh before seatbelts because if the guy would have had a seatbelt on, he wouldn't have went falling out of the car with the killer. He probably could have just, like, swerved the car and got the guy off of his vehicle.
1: Yeah,
3: well, Roy falls out, and this is where the scene really got good for me, because the killer just beats the fuck out of him with, like, uh, is it a pipe? or a, I, I want to say yeah. it's a pipe, but he's got yeah, something.
2: He's got, like, a pipe. And he's beating the hell out of her. Meanwhile, Peg is, Peggy uh, ends up crashing into some brush.
3: And uh, we get this awesome scene where the killer is, like, stalking her. And you know what I love, Cordell? That shot where um, the killer walks into the woods, and he's got that pipe, and you just see that thing is covered in blood. I was just, That is amazing.
2: You know, one thing I thought Peggy was stupid for in the scene is you know, if she would have just slipped away and not screamed when the killer was beating her boyfriend, I don't think the killer. I think the killer might have briefly forgotten about her because it isn't until she screams that the killer, like, whips around and then goes after her.
3: And again, every time this killer's on screen, Cordell, this movie's gold because he is so menacing.
2: He's and menacing. He looks he's creepy. I mean, he's he's really got that kind of, like, early Jason Michael Myers feel like um, he comes well that's
3: what I was thinking for this scene which he's going after in the woods this is straight out of like Friday the 13th Um, you know what I mean like the chick running through the woods um, so, I, I mean I I gotta believe they ripped this off a little bit
2: what this movie ripped it off or Friday the 13th ripped it off
3: Friday the thirteenth
2: ripped it off. I mean they very may they very may well could have. I mean they did end up taking the sack the look of the hood on the mask for sackhead Jason. So the Phantom end, ends up catching up to Peggy and he takes her back to the area and he ties her up to a tree. and this is
3: just brutal to watch because we see it in real time like he carries her to a tree like no mercy starts tying her up and this is this is where the modern true crime stuff gets in because you know this is like the shit that those fuckers do and the whole time we keep cutting back to her boyfriend he's like getting awake like you're like oh maybe he's gonna come up and save the day nope yeah and uh this is This might be my favorite scene, Cordell, when the boyfriend's stumbling and the killer is just slowly following him.
2: This is one of my favorite shots. So Roy is, you know, he's badly beaten, but he manages to get up and stumble away. Well, unfortunately, because Polly can't keep a damn mouth shut. The Phantom notices this. So he just slowly walks to, uh follows Roy, and Roy makes it to like a wired gate, and the phantom pulls out his uh gun, which has a silencer attached to it, and takes a shot. Roy uh falls into the gate. but Roy's not fully dead yet. He's going to try to get back up. So the phantom takes another shot and that's what finally puts Roy down.
1: And
3: just like uh, I'm I'm doing a terrible job describing describe but like how they film it of like the phantom just like slowly walking behind Roy um I mean it's just it's so menacing like it, top level like fantastic.
2: This probably is one of the best scenes in the entire film if I'm going to be honest. Um so Now that Roy's dead, the phantom goes back to the tree where he's got Peggy tied up and he finds Peggy's uh, trombone lying on the ground. And we kind of get like this couple minutes of this funny, like the phantom puts the trombone up to his mouth and he tries blowing on it and everything. Well, he goes to Peggy and he pulls out a little pocket knife. And he attaches it to the uh, part of the trombone that slides out. And I I do like this little thing. He kind of practices for a couple seconds before he uh, gets behind Peggy. And he he puts the trombone to his mouth with the knife attached to it. And then repeatedly starts uh, stabbing her while he's playing the instrument. But, you know what this what I like about this scene is the instrument never makes like its trombone sound. It's just him blowing air through his mask into the trombone.
3: And you know what? This is this this scene is like because I was thinking this. I was like, in another if you played this wrong, this scene could be like stupid funny in the wrong way. But it actually like I kind of I don't know, I don't know how you read this Phantom Killer Cordell, because but I kind of get more of, like, a, I, I get my interpretation of him in this movie is that he's kind of, he's smart, but he's also kind of, like, childlike, I guess, It's kind of, like, just my limited reading of it. But, like, I kind of see him as him, like, sadistically playing with her and, like.
2: No, that's exactly I, uh, it And they're going to say that even later on when we get introduced to um, the psychiatrist.
3: But yeah, I mean, with everything that's preceded this scene, it it is genuinely like disturbing how he just keeps like blowing and stabbing her.
2: It it's all how it's shot, you know, the night, like the dark setting. It, it's it is really truly one of the best scenes in this uh, film. Unfortunately, this. Uh, how this victim ended up dying in real life was not like this. There wasn't a knife at the end of a trombone. Um, I really can't remember how she died in real life, but I, I it think
3: do- she was just shot, if I recall correctly.
2: But it does make for an interesting and I'm going to be honest, memorable uh, slash kill.
1: Yeah,
3: I mean it's a it's a brutal. Brutal scene, and yeah, I mean, she she definitely does not help her cause. Like at the end there, she's like, "Please don't hurt me," and I'm like, "You should know the jig is up." (laughs) You know what I mean?
2: So the next morning, uh, Ramsey and Morales and all the other cops they find the bodies, and Morales is pissed. You know, he's like right here in the middle of town under our nose why wasn't anybody watching this place
3: how many how many spots you got that your people checking out 15 to 20 sir oh, i guess they didn't get here often enough
1: or whatever
2: so we kind of got some scenes throughout the film with uh um, Morales talking to the press and one of those scenes the press asked him what he thinks about the psychiatrist's comments about the case. So they meet this psychiatrist at a restaurant. And this is kind of where we get a little bit of like possible motivation for the killer. Uh this oh, psychiatrist you get on-
1: No go ahead.
2: Go ahead.
3: I was gonna say we get a bunch of like exposition that I'm sure back in 1976 is probably like mind blowing, but anyone who watches true crime stuff nowadays like is just um
2: it's like, yeah, is that's pretty standard it like
3: because like the psychiatrist is just, like you know like it's a sexual thing for the killer you know the killer's probably like middle aged like he basically does um profiling
1: on yeah. the on the killer
2: he calls him highly a highly intelligent sadist. And so while they're talking, uh this psychiatrist, I think his name is Dr. Cress, he basically says, um, you guys may never catch this guy. And while they're talking, the camera cuts to the shoes of the that the phantom killer are wearing, um, revealing that he's heard the entire conversation. Because they kind of make a comment that this guy's not crazy in the way we think crazy he could be functioning in public as a totally normal individual, which is what we see, and then I believe Morales has a line of this sick sadist psycho could be walking past us several times a day,
1: well, yeah and they make a point
3: they make a point in this movie of like focusing in on the killer's shoes um. So so every time they cut to it we get the sense that yeah the killer is uh, you know walking amongst the people.
2: This really just goes to show you that you should not be talking about a case this sensitive out in public like this. <laughs>
3: I know they're they're just out in a fucking restaurant like talking about it. I love it. There's like you know 20 people around they're like
2: So then we um, get this so then we get this scene um of a black man named Johnson comes to the police station. And, you know, he's telling the cops he was robbed and forced to drive a man at gunpoint. And do you want to describe this scene? Because I really don't know how to describe this scene.
3: So this scene kind of comes out of nowhere. So Johnson's talking about how this guy, like, yeah, like, basically, I'm trying to remember. He was like, drive me to the gas station. I'll give you a couple bucks or something like that. But the guy like was like, oh, it's or what do he say? Drive me to my car, right? And the guy's like, it's just like a mile up the road. Well, he makes poor Johnson drive him like ten miles up the road, and he pulls a gun on Johnson, and he's like, if you tell anyone about this, I'm gonna kill you. Like I know where you live, and he makes Johnson give him his wallet. Um, oh yeah. And yeah, I think he, does, uh... he tells Johnson he's the killer, right? That's the whole point of it.
2: Yeah, and Johnson goes to the police to kinda ask for protection too.
3: So the the cops are like, all right, we're gonna have a we're gonna have twenty four seven surveillance outside your home, you know, we're gonna we're gonna protect you. <clears throat> well we cut to um and we actually skipped the scene Cordell because this is relevant, but we cut to uh so Benson is the driver for the Texas Ranger. What's his name again?
2: Morales.
3: For Morales and Ramsey, and earlier after Benson did his old shtick with the car keys, he uh, we got the whole uh, you know, yuck yuck yag where uh, Benson apparently drives like a maniac. And we just got to take a digression. Nobody in this movie knows how to drive. Did you notice this, Cordell? Yes. Everyone, everyone drives like a fucking maniac. <laughs> um,
1: I, like I, I even Ramsey,
3: guys. even Ramsey in the rain, right? Like he's like swerving all over the road.
2: I I'm do like, like oh my God. I do like Morales when he's looking at Benson. Benson's like, "Well, I thought you would, sir. I am, but I would like to survive to see the end of this case. Now, unless yeah, I we we get the I want you to take notice of all the stoplights and signs and the speed limit of this area.
3: Yeah, we we got the comic gold earlier of like Morales is smoking a cigar, and when Benson stops, his cigar is like all beat the shit. Cause he's like been smashed all over, or whatever. But uh, we cut to uh, Benson's driving Morales and Ramsey around, and uh, they get a call in on the radio of some guys robbed a uh, robbed the store and is on the run. And they're like, "Oh, that's two blocks away." And so Morales is like, "All right, spark plug. This is an yeah, emergency." <laughs> so they uh, they roll up to this. I think it's like a general store or whatever. And we see this guy running out and hop. he hops in a green car and takes off. And the store owner goes to uh, Benson and Morales and he's like, yeah, that's the thief. He's in that car. And this thing was kind of confusing to me, Cordell, because we get all this like people driving like a maniac after this guy. But there's like three different cop cars chasing him at various times. Like uh, I, I kind of was confused because later, um, the guy basically gets cornered by the cops, but it's not Benson and Morales; it's like these other cops.
2: Yeah, including one of the cops that was with Benson when Benson was in drag.
3: But uh, of course, we have to get the comedic relief of, uh, you know, Benson and Morales like taking the turn too far, and we get the slow mo car going into the water shot. You know,
2: so Dukes of hazards right here. <laughs>
3: It's, yeah I mean it's like Benny Hill kind of shit
2: like, um, uh,
1: you
2: get you get a lot of slow-mo shots in this movie but <laughs> I love this scene so this car basically goes past off the road and just flies like the General Lee into a swamp
3: <laughs> and then Benson pops out he's like why the hell isn't there a sign playing the road end
2: and I love Morales he's like a hey, spark plug yeah, shut up.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, but um, so they get this this random thief and he basically you get the sense that this guy is kind of loony. But yeah. uh, they're like, you know, yeah. did you hold? Well, Johnson rolls up, too, because I guess the cops brought him along and he's like, that's the guy you held me up.
2: <clears throat> and they make a point of that later earlier in the film where they say that. You know, the cops are looking for information about these crimes and it brings out all the loony bins trying to, you know, I don't know why you would ever confess to beating and killing people just for a little bit of fame. But if you're not right in the head, I guess whatever does it for you.
1: Nah, that's
3: that's a real thing, man. Like I know there's that documentary on Netflix about that one guy who like confessed to like 20 plus murders and he didn't actually do it. He just like yeah. got off on confessing to Henry it.
2: Really, Lucas?
3: Yeah. I don't know, man. Crazy people do crazy shit. <sighs> yeah,
2: that's like uh, there's a documentary on Netflix about the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, and yeah, um. At one point during the investigation, the cops got some letters and like a a recording of a guy with an accent kind of mocking the police. Well, turned out that years later, turns out that was just a guy trying to fuck with the police. He had nothing to do with the case. He just sent him a fake confession and a fake uh, recording of himself. To kind of like mess with the cops, and he actually got jail time for that when they caught him back in like 2006.
1: Good,
3: yeah. I mean, I know there's, there's sick people do that kind of shit all the time,
2: so <coughs> and um, no good. I do want to say that this suspect, so the real life Texarkana murders, these strongest suspect that the police ever had for committing the murders was a guy named Sweeney who had been in trouble with the law before. He he stole vehicles. He robbed people. Um, I don't know if this suspect is supposed to be, you know, based on Sweeney or what, but because he kind of, like, You know, he he denies, so they corner this guy, and they start questioning him, Johnson comes up and says, yep, that's him, that's the guy that stole from me, pointed a gun at me, made me drive him, and I love, like, when he looks at this guy, he's like, you owe me this much money, and this much money, and this much money.
3: Yeah, I know, right? He's like, you gonna pay that up now, or whatever? That did crack me up. But, uh, you can tell this guy's bullshit, because he's like... In like a very weird tone of voice, he's like, "Oh yeah, I did the murders. Make sure he's you like, get you all the
1: reporters." Me. I'm the
2: Phantom.
3: Yeah. But he he specifically makes a point of like, make sure all the reporters are there. And then we cut to Morales. He's like, make sure all the reporters are gone. <laughs> but I mean, you if you're paying attention, I think it's pretty clear the movie makes it clear that like this guy's not the Phantom. Like this, yeah, is a, know. you know, he's just a a loony.
2: And he gets arrested. I mean, he does end up getting arrested because the car he was driving was stolen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Which is why I said I can't... I don't know if this was supposed to be based on Sweeney or what.
3: So, so I read Cordell, if we can do a quick digression. Um, that uh, I guess the dominant theory now is that Sweeney was the killer. But do you agree with that, or do you think it was someone else? You know... Or should we save this for the end of the movie?
2: Let's wait till we get to the end of the movie and we can talk about whether or not. Um, we'll talk about it at the end.
3: All right. So we'll, we'll table it.
2: We cut to May 3rd and we see this pretty woman, uh, Helen Reed. She is leaving a grocery store. And she kind of has like this, she turns and she notices this guy looking at her. She just kind of, like, gives him a look and gets in her car and leaves, and we find out that it's the Phantom. But clearly he must not be wearing a mask in public.
3: No, and it should be said, when we go to the restaurant, I was looking at this, Cordell. When we got to the Phantom, we see the back of his head. Like, what we see is, like, you know, a dark-haired white guy. <clears throat> like, it doesn't just go to his shoes.
2: Yeah, I did notice that this viewing.
3: But, yeah, and and then we get what might be tied for my money. This is tied with the last one. This is a hell of a suit.
2: So, Helen ends up driving home, and she's sitting in her, uh, yeah, she goes home, and then we cut to later that night. Helen's, like, sitting in her bedroom in front of a mirror. She's in her nightgown and everything. And her husband, Floyd, is sitting in front of the window in his chair, and he's reading the newspaper. Well, she turns to him and asks if he he hears somebody walking outside. So he, like, looks up for a few seconds. i like, this is always kind of like that classical, you know, don't disturb me. I'm reading the paper. Oh, fine. I look up. No, I don't hear (laughs) nothing. So... We get this really awesome shot of the window behind Floyd, and the phantom just pops up, raises his gun, and shoots Floyd in the back of the head.
3: This scene, man, is fucking, oh, my God. And then he doesn't just do it once. He does it twice. And you see Helen. She's like, what was that noise, right? But, yeah, he, he just, oh, my God.
2: So, Helen hears the glass shadow, and so she's like, Floyd? she goes out there and she sees Floyd has fallen forward and is lying on the ground with two bullets in the back of his head. And she went, so she runs to the phone and she's like screaming operator operator. And then the phantom just appears at the door. She turns and sees him and screams. And (laughs) this is one of my favorites. It's like one of the only few times we hear the phantom actually like make a noise in the film besides his like you know his breathing she screams and he does like this "Ah, and he busts through the um like a screen door yes the screen door so he busts through the screen and that
3: was awesome
2: camera zooms in on him as he's aiming the gun and he shoots her right in the face
3: and this, like, blew my mind, Cordell, for, like, the 70s tech, because he shoots her, and boom, fucking hole in her cheek appears. And then he, not only does he do that, he fucking shoots her again, and did you catch this? Boom, blood splatter on the wall behind her. I was like, holy shit.
2: That was actually pretty good.
3: Like, that was like, oh, my God.
2: But, you know, um, <laughs> you know, you know, I got, you know, props to her. Props to Helen here, she's a trooper, she's shot, like, in the face, in the head, but she still gets up, and she manages to make it outside. So, the Phantom is stalking her, and I like this scene, when the Phantom leaves the house, he puts his gun away, and he picks up that pickaxe.
3: Yeah, that's a great scene. (laughs) And she's, like, running through the cornfield. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. This is, like, I was on the edge of my seat, Cordell. This is top, top-notch. Like, just, the Phantom is a menacing motherfucker.
2: <laughs> so, the Phantom is going through this cornfield, and he's looking for Helen. He finds one of her shoes. And Helen and and manages to make it to her neighbor's house, who comes out with a gun, and he tells his wife to call a, uh ambulance and did you catch this part Luke but when it cuts to the phantom and he sees that somebody found her and is getting her help he's like he starts breathing like really heavily and he starts shaking his head like no no
1: yeah Yeah. I did
3: catch that he, he, he gets himself out of there
2: yeah he gets out of there but you can. it's quite obvious he is not happy that somebody another victim got away
3: to be fair to our Phantom, you would, you would hope two shots to the head would put someone down, but you would think But you know, I, I guess guess in favor. I guess in real life he did use the uh the 32 ACP, not to, to go all kind of dirty here, which is a a smaller caliber of bullet um but
2: Yeah, but you know, getting really shot right. in the head or getting shot in the face is always risky cuz you don't know where that bullet's going to end up.
3: Yeah, I mean there are there are people who have been shot. Um, what's the, the? It's like the classic story of like the people who try to shoot themselves, right? And the bullet like ricochets off their skull, and they're kind of like left uh, left without a like it didn't actually penetrate.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So yeah, the, the human body's interesting. So, Don't try this at home, kids.
2: <laughs> so. Helen gets saved and the news of this attack, the whole town goes into panic. Once again, people are boarding up their houses. Um, Mailboys are delivering the mail late in the day.
3: they, They do a good job of like escalating the whole like the town kind of like the town like doesn't notice the first two murders. Right. But then after the next two, the town goes into panic and buys the guns. And then they do like, all right, the town cools down and we get this like, These two kids skinny dipping, which is kind of like out of the blue, but they're like, you know, like summer innocence has returned. But then, yeah, we're back to like people boarding up the windows.
1: So we
2: we do get the scene in the police station where um, Morales and everyone, they're talking about the bullets taken from Miss Helen and that they match bullets from the previous uh, killings. And then we cut, so then we cut to Morales and Ramsey, they're uh, on the road driving, just I don't know what the hell they're doing, and they're talking about, you know, if they're ever going to catch this killer, and at this point, Morales is like, if we catch him, it'll, it'll be our lucky day.
3: This is where we get the, we don't actually have an ending, so we have to write something here, folks.
2: So... They get a report over the radio about a car um, that was found that was listed as stolen and they give the make and model and Ramsey, you know, asked for a confirmation and he realizes that that's the same car that he watched drive away from the Turner and Cook murders. So they get there and they meet another cop there and the cop says nobody lives out here and the only thing between here and the river is that old uh, sand pit? So they tell the cop to stay there and wait for the bloodhounds. Well, they grab a couple of shotguns and they go to the uh, sand pit in the woods. They get yes, to, that's a cool scene. Uh, so they get to the sand pit and they're just kind of like trying to keep low and they're looking around. Well, the phantom is up on like a ridge overlooking the um, sand pit, and he they like get down you know it's this scene always makes me laugh because morales clearly uh is trying to tell ramsay to get down but i don't
3: (laughs) i know i was gonna say this and then we cut to ramsay
2: he's like popping up in full view he pops up in full view and the phantom quickly like ducks and he's watching and he's got his gun and everything well morales takes aim with his pistol and shoots. And if he had only been just a couple more inches or feet to, I want to say the left or the right, whichever one.
3: Yeah, he he just misses the guy.
2: If he had just been a couple more inches to the side, he would have got the fucker. So he shoots and misses, and the Phantom realizes that he's...
1: The jig the guy, is up.
2: The jig is up, so he runs into the woods. Well, they chase after him, and the Phantom jumps uh, past – he barely makes it past a train that just starts to come in. Well, that's not going to stop This
3: me. scene is cool as hell, dude, because it's slow-mo, and we get the Phantom, like, sprinting on this side of the train, and we cut back to Morales and uh, Ramsey with their shotguns, and they're just letting loose. They're just fucking firing so, like all
2: hell. Before before we get to this, did you ever did you notice when it cuts to Morales and Ramsey on their side of the tracks, and as the train's going by, did you notice the they accidentally got the um the cameraman in the in the fo in the scene?
1: Oh, did they? No, I didn't. <laughs> That's The awesome.
2: cameraman the cameraman is sitting there on the um train as it's going by on like one of the flat tops and as it goes by you can clearly see this dude holding a giant camera there oh
3: that's awesome i didn't notice that so that's fun
2: uh, morales and ramsey they get their shotguns and they just start blasting away through the underside of the train and as you said it's in slow-mo and we get this awesome shot where morales actually scores a hit on the killer
3: Dude, the best, it might be my favorite shot in the movie, Cordell, but the look of the phantom when he pops up in his mask is now, like, half of it's covered in blood from it's him covered. being shot.
2: Dirty. You know
3: what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. I was like, that looks amazing. Like, that just looks cool. That was, that was, I don't know. I, I really like that shot a lot.
2: <laughs> so, the phantom gets up. He's holding his leg. But God Yeah, God. so
3: Morale, Morales shot him in the leg, and he, like, limps off into the woods.
2: And,
1: and the this, this kind of
3: bothered me, Cordell, because the train, the train, train passes.
2: Uh, Failing no, quickly after that, the train passes him, and they get there, and he's nowhere to be seen.
3: Yeah, but this kind of bothered me, Cordell, because let's say it's, like, you know, a couple minutes later, the train passes. They, they come over. They're like, all right, we got to wait. I'm like... He can't be more than a couple minutes ahead of you. (laughs) Go go after him. Get in the
2: woods. You know, he's got a fucking shotgun wound to his leg now. So it's not like he's going to make it very fast.
3: It was a different time. You know what I mean? They're like, I'm not running a mile.
2: (laughs) You know. So they get the bloodhounds. And we see the phantom. He stumbles into the swamp. And he's breathing heavily. And he looks back. And he just keeps going. And then we finally get the narrator, and he says that the that the Bloodhounds lost the scent into the swamp. And, you know, what became of the Phantom, nobody knows. Some people think he died in the swamps. Some think he got arrested for another crime, and other people believe that he's still out there amongst the people of Texarkana. Then we cut to years later, during the Christmas of 1976, and the film "The Town That Dreaded Sundown" is premiering in Texarkana.
3: <laughs> and the Phantom Shoes are in line.
2: Yep. And then we cut and roll credits.
1: And that...
3: Well, before the credits roll, we get um, we get like updates on like all the people, like the police chief and all.
1: Triple. And uh, you know right.
3: it's. It's just like you know they, they never stop searching for the killer till they died.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that is the town that dreaded sundown.
1: Hell yeah, it does.
2: There was one scene we forgot to mention it. It's that scene when they pulled over that suspect after uh, after Benson drove their car into the swamp. When they're getting ready to take the suspect back to the police station, and uh, Morales gets into a car, and
3: then Benson's
1: driving He gets out.
3: (laughs) I think that's Benson's last scene, actually. And it it should be noted, Benson is played by the uh, director, Charles Pierce.
2: So, if Lucas... The town of dreaded sundown, nineteen seventy six. Big O, high, medium, low. Or are you cutting your dick off?
3: You know what? This this movie really shocked me. Actually, um, it's it's pretty unorthodox with the narration, but it works. I mean, I think if you know, if you were some moviegoer in nineteen seventy six, I would totally believe this was, you know, pretty documentary like. And it even works to this day, I think, is the power of it. Every time the Phantom is on screen, it is um, top tier, like suspense, stalk and slash. Um, The Phantom is intimidating. Yeah, there's some goofy cop shit, but the movie's smart enough to know that, like, every 15 minutes or so, we need to have another Phantom attack. And I think they do a good job of portraying that. Um I mean it should be said like obviously like all that stuff with the train and the phantom escaping into the swamps is not real life at all like that never happened. Um I read online the guy who played Ramsey actually wrote that into the movie because they didn't have an ending which is kind of funny. <laughs> and uh him and uh the guy who played um the Texas Ranger were actually like hungover when they were shooting that because they were out partying the like, night before.
2: And, you know, that's the thing is you kind of wish that maybe it happened like that in real life because you really want the Phantom to get some type of, you know, justice coming at him after all the shit he does.
1: But,
3: yeah, I mean, I think it's appropriate to say this is a proto slasher, um, maybe a full slasher of types. Um, I think obviously you can see the influence on stuff like Friday the 13th Part 2. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a good little thriller, honestly. So I'm going to give it a high recommend. I mean, this this shit's amazing. And just uh, looking at it now, it looks like you can pick up this Blu-ray for uh, 15 bucks on Amazon. It includes another movie from the same director, so that's pretty good value for your money. But yeah, high recommend, man. I had a lot of fun with this movie.
2: And you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give this movie a high as well. You know, know, this was one of those, uh, like I said, I think I really truly believe that I saw this movie at a young age and didn't even realize what I was watching. And it's one of those first movies when I first started getting into horror. horror, I can't talk tonight. That. I watched and I enjoyed it. You know, it's not overly bloody, it's not gory, but there is, you know, you know, blood in the appropriate places. The humor You know, the humor's hit or miss. I did laugh at some of the scenes with Benson, and then there were other scenes where I'm like, "Oh, this is so bad." Um but the phantom, you know, the phantom killer, you know, he just he's he's menacing. You know, you called it a proto-slasher, and I think that's, you know, the right term for it, you know, because this movie only came out two years before John Carpenter's Halloween did. Uh, what year did the original Black Christmas come out, do you know?
1: Uh, 74, I think. Yeah, same year as
3: Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
2: Okay, so this is, you know, two years past Texas Chainsaw and Black Christmas, two years before Halloween, you know, so it's really one of those early slashers before Slasher really became a thing. And, you know, the killer, you know, he inspired Sackhead Jason. He's, he just looks awesome. He's menacing. You know, he uses a gun. He uses a knife.
1: He uses a pipe. Yeah,
2: the pipe. You know, this was actually one of the first... Uh, horror movie characters I ever cosplayed, actually. Like, I actually put together a cosplay uh, based on the Phantom in this movie. And, you know, thankfully, it didn't really cost much. I just needed a tan pair of pants, a blue jacket, and a white hood.
3: Don't get me started, Cordell. I'll start the petition for the shirtless uh, Town That Dreaded Sundown Cordell Cosplay on the Facebook group. (laughs)
2: oh go ahead i need to live a little um but yeah this movie is it's in one it's in my top 10 favorite horror movies high high recommend
3: Um, really that good that good for you
2: it it is it it's definitely i definitely have movies on the list that i like more than this like you know Jason X and My Bloody Valentine, but if I had to watch a movie for the Halloween season or just any type of reason, I would definitely consider putting this movie on. So, and there was a remake to this. Well, not a remake, kind of like a meta sequel.
3: Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the. Remake slash meta sequel that came out in 2014. Because I saw this movie, I think, on Netflix in like 2016, I want to say. So it's been a while. I wish I had watched it in anticipation for this podcast. But as far as I recall, it did a pretty good job of kind of like, so this movie we talked about tonight is a movie in universe in that movie, as well as the real-life murders. And uh, it gets into, like, the whole investigation into the murders and the movie it's based on. But it also... The vibe, I recall, Cordell, is it kind of has, like, a scream sort of feeling to it. Like a kind of meta horror humor type thing.
2: You're definitely right about that. So it's basically, like, a fictionalized continuation. Um... Not going to spoil it, but supposedly this movie claims that there were more victims of the Phantom that we didn't know about, and it plays with that uh it's unlike this movie, which tries to be like a loose telling of the actual murders, the 2014 film is a fictionalized um continuation, as it were. but mm-hmm. um, it definitely has like that scream quality. Um, definitely had a bigger budget, more gore. I remember there's a specific scene where a woman jumps off a balcony and like breaks a leg, and the bone goes through a leg. And I remember just like you know just wincing at that because I don't like seeing bone pierce skin.
3: I remember they do the trombone kill again, but it's like more brutal. If I recall correctly.
2: Speaking of the budget, uh, interesting to note. So this, so the movie we just talked about tonight was, you know, the budget was four hundred thousand dollars. Guess what the box office was?
3: Oh, it had, they had to make a ton of money on it, right?
2: They actually made five million.
3: I mean, this, yeah, I mean, this movie is like the epitome of what I would call like a drive-in classic.
1: Like,
2: oh yeah, but you know, five million on a four hundred thousand dollar budget. To me, that's not bad. You made your money back and more as far as I'm concerned but that uh, is
3: a yeah i mean that is a pretty good uh <clears throat> that's a pretty good return on your investment
2: honestly yeah compare 400,000 to 5 million so there was that you know meta sequel um Now, as for the actual case and who people think the killer was, you asked me if I truly believe that Sweeney did it. Mm -hmm. Part of me wants to be like, yeah, you know, there's evidence, you know, even if it's circumstantial, but there's evidence. You know, there were his his wife told police he did it, but then she recanted her statement. So, it's really hard for me to really kind of sit there, even if the book and everything else is, yeah, Sweeney was the phantom killer. I think the most damning piece is when Sweeney was finally captured for another crime, the phantom murders did
1: stop. But, you know, from where I sit, Part of the
2: appeal of this movie and part of the appeal of the Texarkana murders was because the Phantom was never caught. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, it kind of has like that, you know, mysterious, like, you know, with Jack the Ripper and with the Zodiac Killer. You know, people have suspects, but there's, you know, it's been so long that we really can't pinpoint whether or not those people actually did it. So, well, I think that there was a strong possibility that Sweeney was the phantom killer, I'm not comfortable saying 100% like everyone else is, yeah, he was the phantom.
3: Yeah, it seems to me that um, the primary evidence is like his wife um, testifying against him, but she refused to do that for the court or whatever, so I don't know how much I actually buy that.
2: Yeah, well, and then she later recanted her entire statement.
3: But, I mean, obviously it is kind of suspicious that, like, the murder stopped after he, uh, you know, he, he got put away.
2: And, like I said, that's probably the most damning, but then you can also look at that, like, if you took that to court, it's like, well, that's circumstantial at best.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: There's no way to legitimately say he was the Phantom simply because the killing stopped. Um, I do know, when I was reading about the Zodiac killer, there was some far-fetched theories that the the Zodiac and the Phantom were the same person, but I don't buy that. You ever heard that rumor?
1: Yeah, I don't know
3: how much I believe that, though. I mean, the Zodiac is like a whole other can of worms.
2: I know, I'm just saying, like, that's, you know, a belief that some people have, and I'm just like, yeah, probably not.
3: But, yeah, this is an interesting case to read about. Um, That book you have, I have heard, is a really good book. I do want to pick that up and read it. Um,
2: I believe it's called... The Phantom Killer, unlocking the mysteries of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Give me one second, because it's actually over on my dresser. Let me go uh, get it, and I can tell you a bit more about it.
3: But yeah, the uh, the remake, folks. I I vaguely want to say I recommend it, but um, it's been a while. I mean, I know this this movie and the original are pretty easily available on Blu-ray. Um, so yeah, everyone. Check it out. It's definitely worth your time if you have interest in the slasher movie, the proto slasher. Uh,
2: Or true crime. Uh, So I got I got the book right here. Uh, The Phantom Killer Unlocking the Mystery of the Texarkana Serial Murders, the Story of a Town in Terror by author James Presley.
1: Okay. so yeah, definitely, definitely want to check that out. Definitely. uh,
2: I actually got my copy from. uh, I got my copy from Barnes and Nobles. They special ordered it for me. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to remember how much I paid for it. I don't know. I don't know if I paid eight dollars or eighteen dollars. I don't know if it was like on clearance, but all I know is they ordered it, called me, said, hey, we got your book for you. Went in, paid for it, picked it up. It's a really really good book.
1: Makes sense.
3: So, Yeah, no, I uh definitely want to grab that, but yeah, good good movie.
2: All right. So, that was it tonight for tonight's episode of Cinecall. Uh if you wish to get a hold of the show, you can email us you can email uh, the show at CineCultPodcast1978 at com for a movie request or if there's anything you want to say about a movie we reviewed. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Cordell James Calkins. You can find me on Twitter at SpookyPotato94. Um, where can people find you, Lucas?
3: Yeah, uh Killer Reviews has a Facebook group now. So uh hit us up there, man. And uh we post horror stuff, horror memes, it's uh the place to be.
2: Isn't Killer Reviews the page that shares links to other podcasts?
3: It does. I did post a couple of our uh, our links there.
2: I might have to ask, is who's in charge of that page? Is new is it nudie?
3: No, it's uh do you know Killer Clown?
2: Uh vaguely.
3: Yeah, I he heard. runs it. I'm I'm an admin too. Um there. Might have,
2: might have to ask him if I can uh post links to my shows in now.
3: But yeah, I mean uh check us out on Facebook. I don't know. Do we have any reviews, Cordell? Does anyone actually listen to us?
2: Um I've been <laughs> on you know, I've been on Anchor and people do listen to the show.
1: Oh, it that's has,
2: good. It has gotten plays. On, like, Podbean, uh not Podbean, uh, but, like, Spotify and everything, so.
3: If you leave us a review, folks, we will. Drumroll, please. Talk about the review, and, you know, we'll we'll call it out, and we'll say,
1: yay, we got a review. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so, next time, we will be discussing... What should we discuss? I, guess. You uh, know, I, I kinda wanna discuss more slasher movies since Halloween's coming around.
3: More slasher films. Mm. That's is there anything you've been wanting to watch, Cordell? I guess we should have figured this out off air, but instead we're figuring it out on. Here. Um
2: Well it's good to let the you know, it's always good to let the listeners know, you know, the process.
3: Well, we talked about the town that dreaded sundown here. Um, let's see here. I'm totally not looking at my shelf of movies right now. What? What? Uh, what's a slasher you've been wanting to watch, man?
2: Well, now that you mentioned it, and what you've been watching, I would like to discuss Dream Warriors.
1: We could do Dream Warriors. What do you think? You want to do it?
2: Yep. So next time we will be back with a review. of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors.
3: Hell yeah. Let's do it, man.
2: Have a good night, everybody.
3: Take it easy, folks.